How many of you know that every time there's something valuable, there'll always be a counterfeit to that which is valuable? Where there's gold, there'll be imitation gold. Where there's diamonds, there'll be imitation diamonds. Where there's Rolex watches, there'll be some cheap knockoff watch. Where there's Gucci purses, there'll be imitation Gucci purses. Uh, Because every time and everywhere where there's something that's of high value, there'll always be imitation to that. One of the most valuable things spiritually is faith. And where there's authentic faith, there'll always be imitation or defective or counterfeit faith. Have you ever gone into a store and given them a $20 bill and the cashier will look at the bill in the light and then run it through a machine? Does that happen to anybody else? Or do I just look suspicious? Because <laughs> it's happened to me a few times. And they look at the bill and they look at me and they put it through a machine and the machine is able to detect whether that bill is counterfeit or whether it's authentic. And I read recently that there was a fella in North Carolina that went into a grocery store with a $200 counterfeit bill. He gave it to the lady behind the cash register. She barely glanced at it, took it, put it in her drawer, and then gave him change for $50. Now later on, when they went to count the money, they realized that the $200 bill they had given her, it had a picture of George W. Bush in in the middle of it. And on the flip side, where you see the the image of the White House, there was little yard signs in the White House lawn that said, we like ice cream, reduce taxes. But you see, this woman had paid no attention. She just assumed it was real, and, and she had given it a little glance, and it looked like the real thing, so she put it in her drawer. Sometimes that's the way we operate with faith. We assume that if it looks like faith, we assume that if someone talks about faith, that it must be real, but we don't examine it. We don't look closely at it because if we did look closely at it, we would realize that it's not the real thing, that there's a lot of counterfeit faith that's out there. Now, if I were to go down to Michigan Avenue, or if I were to go down to uh, 26th Street on a busy Sunday morning, and I were to take a microphone, and I were to shove it into the face of the people that were on the street, and I were to ask them, sir, do you have faith? 97% of the people that I would interview would say, of course I have faith. And then they would try to tell me why they have faith. They would say, well, I pray, or I have a crucifix around my neck, or I have a big King James Bible next to my bed, or... My mother uh, once went on a missions trip, or look, I have a big tattoo of Jesus right here, or whatever they may say, because most people in this city of ours, 9.5 million people in greater Chicago, 9 million of those people more than likely would say they are people of faith. And the great majority of those 9 million people would claim that they are people of faith that embrace the Christian way of faith. However, if we were to dig a little bit deeper into their faith, if we were to take their faith and run it through the counterfeit machine, 
I think that we, what we would discover is that what a lot of people call faith is not really saving faith. It's not really authentic, life-changing faith. It's sometimes merely a cultural faith that really does not change their life. James is talking about that. I'm going to begin reading in James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Now, what I want you to note about this is it says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims? Uh, Notice he's not saying if a man has faith, he's saying if a man claims to have faith. We can claim to have a lot of things we don't have, right? You can claim to have money and you don't really have it. You can claim to have a degree that's not really there. You can claim that you're charming and you're really not. Uh, you, You can claim a lot of things, but just because you claim it doesn't mean it's true. And he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith? They make the assertion. They say, I have faith. But, James says, they have no deeds. In other words, their lifestyle does not back the fact that they say they have faith. They have no works, no evidence of the faith they claim to have. What good is it if you say you have faith, but you don't back it with your lifestyle? And then he gives an illustration. He says, just suppose that a brother, a sister from the church, someone that you know, it says, if one of you says, if, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Someone shows up and they, they've lost their job and they have no food and they have no clothes and you know them and you've known them for a while and you know they're not out there necessarily getting high every other weekend, but you, you see them as someone in the church and they've just hit on hard times and they've lost everything and you're just shocked at where they're at and they come to you and you see them in this condition and you just, you're amazed that they've gone from here to there. And it says, and you say to them, go. I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but you do nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? What James is saying is that sometimes we need to be less spiritual and offer less blessings and do some, something more practical about it. Uh, This person is saying, bless you, go in peace, be well fed, and be well clothed, but they don't need a blessing, they need clothes and food. How many of you know sometimes when we say, I'm going to pray about it, really means I don't want to do anything right right now, I'm just kind of a stall tactic not to do anything. Don't look at me, you've done it before. (laughs) You know, sometimes we need to, to, to take action. And when he says, if you bless them and pray for them, but you do nothing to help this person out, then he says, what good is it? He says in verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. 
In other words, if your faith doesn't lead you to works or action, then there's something deficient about your faith because real faith will always lead to real action. I heard it illustrated once this way. A boatman was trying to illustrate how faith and works go together. And so he had a boat and some people on the shore watching his illustration. And on one oar in his boat, he wrote the word faith. On another oar in his boat, he wrote the word works. And then he took one oar that said faith, and he started paddling and paddling and paddling, and all the boat did was go in circles. And then he took the oar that said works, and he paddled and paddled and paddled, and all he did was go in circles the other way. And he said, now what God wants us to do is combine faith and works together. And he took both oars, he put them in, and he paddled, and then he was able to make progress. And some of us are like that in our spiritual life. Some of us say faith, 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 but have no works, and so we're going in circles. Some of us say works, 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 and have no faith, and so we go in circles. What God is asking for is authentic faith that shows up in actually transform life or works in our life. Now, some people have argued that maybe James was saying something different than Paul was saying. But I know that Scripture is inspired by God and it always, com- it always complements itself. What James is, not, James is not saying that works save us. James is saying that faith saves us, but your faith will always manifest itself in works. Notice what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. James is not saying that your works save you. James is saying that if your faith is real and authentic, it will always have works. There is no such thing as faith that doesn't have works. No such thing. Now James goes on. And he's talking about the difference between real faith, and he says, in the same way, faith by itself, it's not accompanied by action, is dead. You know, when, when there's a body, and you're, you go to a casket, that corpse can be dressed up, that corpse can have shoes on it, that corpse can look like it's ready to go, But the spirit is gone, so that corpse will never do anything. Even It may even look like it's alive because it's so well put together. But in reality, that corpse will never do anything because it's dead. What James says is if your faith does not lead to works, if your faith does not change you, I don't care what you call it, I don't care how long you've had it, it's not living faith, it's dead faith, and it's not the kind of faith that ultimately God wants you to have. Number two, he goes on in verse uh, 18 to say, but some will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. If you take a notes, write this down. Number two, real faith should not be confused with mere 
intellectual assent. Real faith is not the same as mere intellectual assent. Let me explain that. Have you ever talked to people, run into people that believe in God, but are absolutely 100% not living for God at all? They're all over the place. Do you realize that you can believe in God? You can believe in the God of the Bible? You can believe in Jesus, in the cross, and not live at all for God? In fact, James says, hey, these people were boasting and they were saying, hey, we believe. Oh, we're, we're people of faith, we believe. And what James is saying is he's shocking them and he's saying, hey, you believe in God, but look what, look what he says. He says, you believe that God, that there is one God, good. Guess who else believes that, there, that God exists? He says, even the demons believe. And they believe so much that they tremble. Uh, what he's telling them is, Just because you believe in God doesn't mean you're close to God. Just because you believe in the existence of God doesn't mean you're a follower of God because even the demons believe and they believe so much in God that they tremble and shudder, but yet they are far from God. If you read in the New Testament some of the encounters that Jesus had with demons, uh, for example, in Matthew chapter 8 or Mark chapter 5 or Luke chapter 4 or Acts chapter 19, Jesus would encounter these people that were possessed by demons, evil spirits, and when they encountered Jesus, they would say, Jesus, Son of God, what do we have to do with you? Why have you come to torment us before our time? Now think about it for a second. Those demons actually knew that Jesus was the Son of God. Those demons actually believed that they would come before Jesus as their judge, The demons actually had a better theology than a lot of people around them. They believed in Jesus, believed that he was the son of God, believed that they were going to be judged by him, but yet they were still demons. And what James is saying is that there's a lot of people out there right now that say, I believe in God. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that Jesus died on the cross. They believe, but James is saying that belief is doing no good to your life because even the demons believe what you believe and it's not changing their life. That getting you a little scared now? I mean, it's pretty heavy, isn't it? You say, well, pastor, what makes the difference then between believing the right way and believing the wrong way? Well, let me tell you what what true faith hath that the demons don't have. Even though the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God, even though demons believe in God that one day they'll be judged, The difference between saving faith, authentic faith, and the faith that demons have is although demons believe in the reality of God and the reality of Jesus as the Son of God, 
What the demon has never done is the demon has never placed their trust in Jesus Christ. You can know about something and believe in something, but never put your trust in that something. You can believe that it's there, but not do anything about it. You can believe in the existence of God, but there's a big difference between believing in the existence and actually entrusting yourself to, the God, to God. You can believe that Jesus died on the cross, but never actually submit yourself to the cross. You can believe that Jesus is Lord, but never actually ask him to be Lord of your life. You can believe that God exists, but never actually say, I want to follow you with all of my heart. There's a difference between believing in your head and trusting with your heart. A huge difference. Are you tracking with me? Because this is big. Some of you are not quite grasping it yet. Let, Let me give you another illustration that I think helps uh demonstrate what I'm talking about. Several decades ago, there was a tightrope walker that thrilled audiences across America. And one of his feats that drew the attention of the media was that he would put a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And he would actually walk, walk across Niagara Falls to the astounding amazement of his audience. And one day I heard his name was uh, Blondine. And one day I heard that Blondine was gathered at Niagara Falls with a tightrope across the, uh, the fall. And reporters were there and large crowds had gathered to see him walk across. And he said to the audience that was gathered, Do you believe that I can walk across this tightrope and make it to the other side? And the audience with energy, cheered him on. Yes, we believe you can do it. And they celebrated and cheered. Then he said, do you believe that I can take this wheelbarrow here and that I can walk this wheelbarrow all the way across this tightrope to the other side of Niagara Falls? And the crowd cheered and said, yes, we believe you can do it. And they celebrated. Then he said, do you believe that I can put a person in the wheelbarrow, and walked to the other side and make it, and they cheered and and cheered, and yes, you can do it. And he noticed one man that seemed to be especially excited about it, so he said, sir, would you like to get in the wheelbarrow? And the man said, no way, no way. And he couldn't find anybody in the audience to volunteer to take him across. Listen, some of us believe in God that way. Oh, you would, check, you would check the box at the hospital that says, what are you, Christian, this, that, the other. So you check the Christian box. And you go to church on Easter, and you go to church on Christmas, and you got a Bible in the house, and you got a crucifix in your grandmother's room. And so you, you have all the religious paraphernalia, and if you were to ask, do you believe in Jesus, you say yes, and do you believe in God, yes, and do you believe in heaven, yes, and do you believe in hell, well, sort of, you know, you, you have all those questions there. But there's a big difference between believing that God exists and knowing, believing that the cross happened, and believing that Jesus is the Son of 
God and actually getting in the wheelbarrow of faith and saying, I believe enough to get in and let it change my life. A huge difference. It tells us in verse 20, number three, real faith works together with actions to make saving faith complete. James is not tiptoeing around the tulips. He says, even the demons believe and tremble. And then he says to his listeners, hey, you foolish man. That's not a very nice thing to say to people, right? What he's telling them, listen, if you had that kind of faith and not the real saving kind of faith, you're foolish. He says, you foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Hey, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? See that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Now what James is saying, James is saying that Abraham believed God, but it was not until he obeyed God because of his faith that we know that his faith was real. Abraham believed God I mean, think about it. Abraham had an incredible story. He was the father of the Jewish nation, and God chose him, and he was called the father of faith. Abraham believed God, but it wasn't until his faith was tested, and God said, offer your son Isaac on the altar, and Abraham, because his faith was strong, was willing to take what was most dear to him and offer it up unto God, and James is saying, see, it's because It's because he offered Isaac on the altar, willing to offer Isaac on the altar, that we know his faith was real. It wasn't him being willing to offer Isaac that made his faith. It was because he had faith that he's willing to offer Isaac on the altar. Are you tracking with me? It's not your works that make you right before God, but it's your faith that makes you have works. If you have faith, you'll have works. If you have no faith, you'll have no works. Listen to me well. You cannot be legitimately born again, have an encounter with God, have an authentic, real faith, and stay the same person. It doesn't happen that way. It tells us in Scripture, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You say, well, pastor, you know, I got saved when I was six years old. I went to the altar. I prayed a prayer. I gave my life to Jesus, you know, prayed the sinner's prayer, did all that. And I say to you, okay, great, great. I'm glad you did that. Now, how's your life been since then? Well, it didn't really change anything. Hey, listen, if you prayed a prayer and it's been 15 years and you have no change, I'm going to wonder whether your faith was really authentic, life-changing faith. It is impossible for you to encounter this incredible grace of God 
The Holy Spirit that comes inside of you washes you away, gives you a new lease on life. You submit it to the power of the Holy Spirit. He comes inside of you. He's living in you. You will be a changed individual, not perfect because there's no perfect Christians, but you will be altered. You cannot have a faith encounter with God and remain the same. It's impossible. Your faith will change you. And if your faith doesn't change you, then your faith is deficient. It's not the real saving faith he uses two examples he uses Abraham and he uses Rahab Abraham was a man that was really respected Rahab was a street she was a hooker street walker prostitute and it works both in the religious people and the highly respected and it works in people that aren't so highly respected the same faith brings about change And he says, Rahab, in the same way, Rahab, the prostitute, was considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. If you remember Rahab, she lived on the wall of Jericho. The spies came to spy out Jericho, and she hid the spies because she believed their message, and because she believed their message, she helped them escape. Her faith led her to works and action. And it says that uh, they sent them off, and, she, and, and James says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, I want you to really hear me this morning, because this is really, really important. There are literally millions of people around Chicago that believe they have faith. Some of you here, you were raised in church. It may have been a Methodist church or Baptist or Presbyterian or Catholic or Assembly of God or Pentecostal or whatever. There's a lot of different brands you could come in. It may have been New Life Community Church that you were raised in. And when someone asks you this question, when did you become a Christian? You answer, I've always believed. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I've always believed in Jesus. I mean, I grew up believing in Jesus. I've known the Bible stories since I was small. I went to Sunday school. I learned the verses. I, I knew about Jesus. I got baptized when I was really young. I mean, I've done all those things. I've, I've known that since I was young. But you don't have a clear testimony as to when you transferred your trust over to Jesus Christ and there's a moment and time where you said, now I choose to believe and I repent and invite the Holy Spirit inside of me to change me around and you can't point to a time, a place, an event, a season when it happened then there may be a problem there. None of us are fuzzy about being born. Someone says, hey, were you ever born? Of course I was born. Most of you know, I hope you know, your birthday. Because before your birthday, you were not born. After your birthday, you're born. It wasn't like I kind of got born, sort of, not really, not really sure. No, 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 no. You were either born or not born. I'm not sure how born I was. No. 
I mean, you're in or out. It's not fuzzy. It's not confusing. Before you're born, you're not born. After you're born, you're born. We put it on your birth certificate. We mark it because there's a very different, there, in, this, in this world, in this society that we live in especially, the unborn have very little rights. So if you're not born, you're not, con- you, you're not considered a citizen, an individual here. Once you're born, you have a birth certificate. You have a name. You have a social security number. You're either born or not born, and there's a marked difference. Four minutes before you were not born, four minutes after you are born, It's very clear in the physical realm. Jesus in John chapter 3 explained it the same way. Listen, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Why again? Well, because the first time you were born, you were born physically. The second time you were born, you were born spiritually. The same rules apply, though. You know when you're born or not born. There's a time where you cross a line. Now, the journey up to that line might, may be long. It may take you seven years to get up to that line. You may be investigating Christianity, wrestling with whether you want to give yourself to God or not. You may be struggling with repentance and going, but there's a time that you cross a line that you're either over the line or not over the line. You're either in the kingdom of light or out of the kingdom of light. There's a clear moment and time where you cross a line into another dimension of having the Holy Spirit inside of you, of having been born again, washed of, uh, washed of your sin, where the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and you're considered a born again believer, child of the living God in the kingdom of light. There's a moment and time when that happens. Now, if you were raised all your life sort of believing in God, here's the great deception that happens to many people. The great deception is many people go most of their life thinking that because they've believed in the existence of God or believed in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, Because they've believed that all their life, the great deception is because I believe I must be right with God, I must have faith. But that is not the kind of faith that saves you. Just believing that God exists or just believing that there was a cross on Calvary or believing that Jesus is the Son of God is not enough. There comes a point in time where you have to believe enough to entrust your life over to his lordship. Repent of your sins, invite him in, and you trust him. You're not just believing that he exists, but you're trusting him with your life, inviting him into your life to transform you, and then he begins to change you from the inside out, and you will begin to change when that kind of saving faith is in you. If that's not in you, you'll have a belief and a a a theology about God, but no transformation in your life. There are millions of people walking down the street that believe they have faith, saving faith, but all they have is acknowledgement that God exists, and that kind of faith will not save your soul or change your life. It tells us in Matthew that many will come before God one day and they'll say, hey, Lord, Lord. Like, hey, hi, hi, it's me. You know, me. I was in church. 
Remember, I, I won the verse contest. Hey, I was really good at, you know, remember? And that God, that the Bible says that some will come and say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me because I never knew you. Why? They believed that he existed. Why didn't Jesus know them? Well, Jesus did not know them because they had never truly trusted him and given their lives over to him even though they believed in his existence. There's a big difference between believing in the existence of God and entrusting your life to him and allowing him to change you from the inside out. That's the difference between living faith and dead faith. That's the difference between acknowledging the existence of God or the way the demons believe and the way that true people that have come to him believe. There's a huge difference. You know a lot of people that believe in God, but a lot of people that believe in God have never been born again. It's huge. And my desire as your pastor is I don't want you just to believe in God. I'm assuming that most of you that are here believe in God because you're in church. Maybe not everybody. Some are atheists or agnostics or you believe that there's a God but you can't define him. But my desire as a pastor is that not just that you believe in God. My desire as a pastor is that you cross the line to have a relationship with God through his son Jesus. That you actually know him and that you've trusted your life to him and surrendered yourself to him and that you're in the wheelbarrow allowing him to carry you across the rope, not just in the crowd saying, I think he can, I know he exists, but that you've actually taken the step and given your life over to him and allowed the Holy Spirit to come in and save you. Let me close with this. That's why scripture says that you must believe in your heart And you must do what? You must confess with your mouth. Why? Because confessing with our mouth is an action. Faith with no deeds is dead. I have to believe enough to speak it. And I have to believe enough to speak it with my mouth. And I have to believe it enough to take action. That's why there's two actions that the Bible tells you to do. One, to believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that he is Lord. And then you have to speak it with your mouth. Jesus is Lord of my life. I repent of my sins. And then you have to take the step, the other step of obedience, which is the step of believer's baptism. We're having a baptism next week. It's not baptism that saves you. It's not the words that save you. It's your faith that saves you. But we know it's real faith when you're able to speak it, and we know it's real faith when you're able to follow through in obedience. Powerful. Listen, I want you to know that God loves you more than what you could ever imagine or fathom. God doesn't just want to be an acquaintance on your radar. He wants to be your Savior, your Lord. He wants to walk with you and change you and change you from the inside out. He doesn't want to just be a God in the universe that you acknowledge that exists. Tons of people do that. Most of the world acknowledges that there's a God up there that exists. He wants to be much more than that. He wants to be your Savior, your friend, your Lord. 
Lord. He wants to be inside of you, changing you from the inside out. He wants to wash you and cleanse you and make you new. He wants to engage in a walk with you where he changes the way you think and the way you live and the way you breathe. He wants you to be a follower of his that it filters into the way you do your work and the way you listen to music and the way you do friendships. Why? Because he's at the core of your life. He's living inside of you, changing you from the inside out. That's authentic Christianity. Hey, this is a hard passage today, isn't it? It's a hard one. I mean, it's tough. He's stepping on toes. Step, step, step. That's all right. You don't have to say amen. Some of you can just say ouch. You don't have to say amen. Just ouch, ouch, ouch. Listen, we're going to close with the song now. My desire as a pastor, as your pastor, is I want to make it hard. Hey, I want to make it hard to go to hell from this place. Seriously. I want to make it hard to go to hell from this place. Some places are easy to go to hell because you never hear the gospel. I wanted to make it hard because you hear the gospel straight up clear. You're given an opportunity to respond because you know, because there are people that are alive, because the grace of God is drawing people. I, I want to make sure, just because you come to church doesn't mean you're right with God. And I know that, you know that. And I want to make it hard for you to have any excuses of why you can't be right with God because I believe the best decision you could ever make is to surrender yourself to the lordship of Jesus and allow him to change you from the inside out. I believe that God loves you and has a plan for your life that's better than your plan for your life. I believe that God loves you more than your mother loves you. Wow, that's big. I believe that God loves you more than you love yourself. I believe that God loves you and has known you. I believe that his ways are the best ways, not the easiest ways. I believe that the way that leads to life is narrow and few find it. I believe that it's a tough way, but it's an abundant way. It's a way that leads to life. I believe that when we come to him, we have to die to ourselves in order to live to him. I believe that it's a narrow way, a, a, a small path, but when we encounter it, it's not a drudgery path or a sad path. It's a path full of joy and power and abundance in God. That that's what I believe. And I want to make sure that you, yeah. You say, Pastor, you talk about it all the time. I do talk about it all the time. Because if we don't start out right, we'll never end right. I want you and your spouse and your mother and your brother and your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids and your nieces and your nephews and your cousins, I want them all to come to know the power of the living God. I want them all to come and experience the blessing of knowing Jesus Christ. Man, I want it for your whole family. I want it for you and your whole family. It's my desire. 